So we're back to the Mostly Ghostly, and uh, we have a, a, a great episode for everybody today. You know, we have the we have a returning guest, the great Audra Morris. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> she, thank you. I appreciate that very much, Matt. You're a veteran guest at this point. Oh, I love it. You know what I mean? Uh, for all the people out there listening, when you like this show, go and check out um, the, the uh, first season's episodes. I believe it was uh, The Eight Types of Ghosts and Medium Chips Last Forever. If I'm even smarter than I think, I'd say that would be episode number three and episode number maybe seven. But I'm probably, I don't claim to be a smart man. I'm like <laughs> Forrest Gump. You know what I mean? So today's episode. We're going to get a little into some fairy tales over here, some some tinker hell, if you will. You know what I mean? Uh, we're going to talk about the the origin and the, and the whole folklore and culture and whole world of the fairy. You know what I mean? Uh, at first, you'll probably kind of think, oh, you think of Tinkerbell, like we're talking about. That. I, you automatically think good. But, you know, in research, I found that the most interesting thing is that there's these bad fairies, too. Um they're coming to the mix. You know what I mean? Um, before we hop right into some of the some of the stuff I got in the notes, um, do either of you want to say anything about like leading in about fairies, like uh, your take on them originally or when they first came into your your know-how? Uh, not really. I think I'm just going to go with the flow. I'll pop in when something comes back up. How about Audra? Um, I actually started just recently getting interested in them because, like you were saying, Tinkerbell. That was my my knowledge of uh, fairies was these adorable little sweet things that, you know, flutter around and do wonderful things. And it was really surprising to find out that that's not the case and that they don't all have wings and they're not all tiny. So, um I just started really getting interested in them and I know kind of fun to share it with everybody. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a very interesting thing for anybody out there that doesn't know, you know, fairies, they come from the old French word fairé. You know what I mean? The word has been overused to describe a supernatural being. There's a great deal of difference in classifying a being as a fairy from the medieval literature and uh, those from modern literature especially those belonging to the Celtic tradition. And us being from Boston, of course, we want to believe the Celtic tradition. <laughs> there are other traditions such uh, as found in English, German, and Slavic folklore. Today, when we think of fairies, we often visualize them as tiny supernatural beings with wings and glowing with uncommon light. In today's children, uh, children's fairy tales like Tinkerbell, you know, we see a lot of that. Uh, they also possess some type of strange magical power. Uh, like in the story of Peter Pan and the fairy godmother in Cinderella, modern fairies between the 18th and 20th century come from oral tradition before they were transmitted into writing. Now, with that being said, you know, I'd probably have to say that was my introduction, you know, right there through these through these animated kids movies, you know, we, you know, and I, I, I'm a little bit older than you guys. So, like, where where did you guys, you know, <laughs> when was the first time? Like I can say, I can say that that right there was straight up, realistically, probably the first time I ever heard about him. Is that? Do you guys relate to that, or was there? When did it come into you guys? 
Well, I think like a lot of kids, it's the tooth fairy. Yeah, yeah. You know, people think, you know, that the kids are all, you know, the tooth fairy. So, I mean, you know, you get all excited and, you know, you put a little tooth under your pillow, you wake up and there's some money there in the morning. And that was my first introduction, really, I think, to fairies, you know, and or my thought that there was a fairy, you know. Yeah. Um, but that, to me, is interesting because now here we are, much like you said, Tinkerbell, mm. the tooth fairy. Now, I think there are good and bad in everything. So you got to wonder now, you got some bad tooth fairies out there that are just like little piranhas, you yeah. know, and uh, they're not as nice as people think. And yeah. I find that fascinating because I never ever thought about that. I just thought about Tinkerbell, little tooth fairy, and not these little things that would like to just eat the flesh off of people if they were really irritated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, there's a couple of horror movies. You have Darkness Falls, a horror movie yeah. on the Tooth Fairy, which was actually pretty scary. I mean, the Tooth Fairy, when you really think of it, creating a horror movie for it, it's a kind of a perfect, it's the children, has that children's aspect. It, it, this, only the children supposedly deal with it, so to speak. Um, and it comes at night when everybody's sleeping. It's 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 stealth enough to be able to lift your head up and put put the money and exchange the tooth under your pillow. There's a lot of like weird elements to it. You know what I mean, Ray? I didn't really did. I, did you have an answer? I guess I, I spoke over you. Well, if you take a careful look at it and you look at the tooth fairy, yeah, you got this thing bribing you for money for for your dead bones. <laughs> Very cryptic, yeah. So it's kind of like. Okay, and this is supposed to be good. It comes in the night, steals your tooth, and bribes you and for a part of your body. Yeah. And like, no, that's creepy. That that's that's not fun. That's not kid fun. That's creepy. No, and then what happened? Yeah. What do they do with those teeth? That's what I want to know. <laughs> oh, they collect sure. them they collect them until they can get control over you. It's like voodoo, you know? I feel like there probably is some weird like crazy thing to it, like a dark, there's probably a dark story where they say they piece enough of you together in a jar that they control <laughs> you or something. You know what I mean? Like something dark and twisted like that. Um, another dark and twisted thing that popped in my head is we all know how Disney, well, we'll speculate that Disney kind of has some dark things in their past. What's you guys' take on Disney, these Disney movies kind of making fairies always look positive in their thing? Where, you know, almost has that kid element where a kid might actually try and reach out to some entity, so to speak. Well, I think that uh, what you're looking at there is they're looking at the money and they're ignoring the history and the law behind it. That's one way of looking at it. Or if you really believe they do have a dark side, then they're trying to lure children in to these beliefs and be susceptible to the darkness that fairies can be. Yeah. Where where where's Jiminy Cricket fit into this whole scheme of things? Because <laughs> he, he's a cricket, but he's a, he's like your conscience. That has like a weird psychological thing to it as well. Since we're talking Disney, we don't get to talk Disney too often, friend. Oh. <laughs> Jiminy, Jiminy Cricket, I don't know. Maybe they're trying to tell you your conscience is outside of yourself. When I like fact- that. I like it. It is your true self. 
I'm definitely with that. So, uh, so the fairies are supernatural beings that can be best described by the Greek word daemon, which sounds too much like demon, if you ask me. Uh, they spell it D-A-I-M-O-N, which means spirit. They're not divinity, i.e. God or a goddess, uh, in the usual sense of the word, and yet they are not mere mortals. Often, it is easier to classify them as minor divinity. Now, I wasn't familiar with there being multiple levels of the divinity. Did you guys know about that? Yes. Or if it was to be true? Yeah? I've been aware of the, the multiple levels of... Um, I mean, you've got that in a lot of different uh, things. But even in the angels, the different levels of angels, the different levels of... Um, your spirits, your spirit worlds. Uh, there's a lot of levels, I think, with everything. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. I mean, if you take a look at uh, in many cultures, uh, whether it's the ancient Roman, the Greek, the Norse gods, whatever, you always had one. Like Zeus was, was a higher one. And then yeah. you had the one below. And Jupiter was a higher one. And then you have Odin. And you have all of these that come in lower than. And it goes way back in many cultures, right back to Mesopotamia and ancient times. You had the head god, and then you had the lesser gods that uh, did the uh, chief god's bidding. Yeah. And sometimes, uh, and if you go back to ancient uh, translations, go back to ancient Aramaic and uh, Paleo-Hebrew, the translation of the word supernatural is at times in depending upon the, it depended upon the sentence and how it was used that supernatural could also mean God. Mm. So when they believed in a, in a God, particularly if you're talking to Syrian, well, they believed in the supernatural, the head God and all of those lesser than it. So supernatural phenomenon and multiple gods was common in that time. Yeah. Whenever I, the God thing always throws me off a little bit because you got like the supreme God, the overall, you know, and then there's supposed to be like the middle, middle, middle level ones. But like, I've always been taught that, you know, that would be upsetting to the supreme God. You know, you're only, there's always, you know, and he does his don't, don't have false gods in my, uh, and what is it? What's the, what, how's it go? In my image or whatever? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The, um, I shouldn't say whatever, you know, but uh, I didn't know if I was right, so I didn't want to. But, yeah, so, like, that always throws me off a little bit. But, you know, if we look at the idea of fairies, then you would find that uh, you have to be around a, a, a lot longer than anyone expects. Perhaps the earliest form of fairies can be found loosely in the myth, uh, mythical beings in the Greek mythology, such as the nymphs, satyrs, and selene. Uh, the nymphs from ancient Greek myths can be considered as fairies, and they existed as early as time, the time of Homer, writing the Iliad and the Odyssey. Even the river gods in Greek myths can be classified as fairies. These are spirits or minor deities of nature or the natural phenomena. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean? And then uh, there was household. There was a household or a guardian spirit that can be found in Roman religion and mythology, such as Penates, Lars, and Janai, perhaps. The Norse versions of the fairies are a wide variety of elves and the Desir uh, that exist in the Teutonic traditions. The Valkyries could also be classified as fairies. 
So with this, this kind of brings the fairies and the elves to kind of together, which I, I, I always assumed them to be two, maybe in the same family, but two different type of, type of entities. You know what I mean? But they're just another version in their in their belief. Well, you got um, like that original word daemon. Yeah, um, that is one of the translations for jinn, which we haven't we we did a an episode on jinn. So five, you could uh, basically say that the jinn, which turned into genie, was made really nice, yeah. and they were good and bad jinn. Um, the jinn let bar later on that word in translation became fairy f a i apostrophe r e when it went through the different stages. So the jinn are in essence the same as a fairy. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and and like the river spirits and stuff. Yeah. It feels like there's a lot being uh, kind of lumped in. You know what I mean? And that's what was fascinating me is, you know, like I say, you always think of these sweet little tiny fluttering figures and you don't realize that, you know, the elves and the goblins and the leprechauns, and like you were saying, like the Lady of the Lake who... Mm-hmm raised Lancelot with Excalibur. This was a type of a fairy. And it just amazes me to think that they come in so many different forms, in so many human-like forms. Yeah, we have even like the Puckawudgies of like the Bridgewater Triangle folklore, I feel like would fit into this category as well. Well, I've never heard of them. Oh, yeah. The Puckawudgies are like these little imp-like beings um, that are like three feet. I guess I can't call them an imp because imps are really small, I believe, but they're like three feet tall. And um, yeah, they're just, they're like weird. Um, I don't know. How would you describe them, Ray? Uh, kind of like little trolls. Like little trolls. Yeah. You know what I mean? In Native, um, Amer- Native American culture, um, the equivalent of fairies, they call them the others. They're more like elementals. Hmm. And it's something that you don't, unlike uh, other cultures, you don't talk a lot about. Uh, they're there. They're part of nature. But they have a totally different relationship to the others than uh, the rest of society does. Yeah. That's they good. I like that name, too. They take them as some serious elemental powers there. So you just leave them alone. Yeah, uh, because the Pugawaji folklore is is ancient, is goes all the way back, and um, one of the the biggest things that they were known for is it would get people would be in the woods, and they would they'd, they'd, they'd hear a voice that would like call out to them for help or whatever, and you'd eventually follow that voice, and what it would do is you would you would follow it off a cliff to your death type deal, like that's what that so it was definitely a negative vibe. It was definitely bad news, you know what I mean. Um, and they could get in your head and make you, you know, make you think, you know, I, I forget if it can make you think that it's something else. I know that it can like throw its voice and the, my, my brother, I had a story I'll tell real quick to kind of lease it in. So my brother was driving, was riding his bike home one. We we're kind of, we're in the area kind of the Bridgewater triangle. And, uh, my brother's a dude who never jokes about paranormal. And up until like outside of this right here, he won't, he don't he won't accept anything as like reality um but he told me a story of him coming home on his bike one night 
and uh, it was dark. And he said the street, some of the street lights were out and he was cruising up. So he was in the middle of the road because the lights were out. And he didn't want, you know, didn't want to get hit or whatever the deal was. And he said that he like was, he was in the middle of the road and he cruised by and off to the like right, he said he looked and there was this little like three foot tall thing that uh, was standing there. And he said that he just seen it and it like creeped him out. So he started pedaling super fast until he got all the way up to like the next working light. And he said that he looked back down the street and that he seen something standing like in the middle of the road looking at him. And he was like, Woo! like out of there. Um so that and that that always gave me goose, goosebumps because I know that he's not a, a, a person to tell stories, even when he easily could tell a story like that. You know, you ever catch somebody where you could be like easily set him up to tell you something? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he he don't even fall for that stuff. So that that's why that always creeped me out. Uh, it was during the time of Queen Elizabeth, the first Queen of, of England, where William Shakespeare had uh, popularized fairies and English folklore in his play *Midsummer's Night Dream*. The characters uh, Oberon, Titania, and Puck, early, uh, earlier than Shakespeare, Chaucer mentioned that uh, the land of Britain was filled with fairies before the time of King Arthur. In Arthurian legends, the divine or fairy figures also appeared in abundance. Morgan, Arthur's half-sister, seemed to be a great sorceress and healer. Uh, was often called Morgan Le Fay. Her nickname, Fay, which means fairy. And then there is this lady of the lake, Arthur's wife, Genevieve, or Guenevar in the Welsh tradition, also appeared to be a fairy, as well as the sovereignty goddess. Many knights were either born from fairies or took female fairies as their lovers. Even Merlin was only part mortal. You know, when they say, you know, come from the woods, do you think that there's something that they, just a mystical thing about that? You know, people go into the woods, they look for, you know, uh, uh, herbs, you know, mushrooms maybe in that time that could help them with sickness. And they kind of, them finding these things, they equate to some type of like, you know, forest spirit. And maybe, you know, uh, that kind of relates to this a little bit. Equating, you mean like equating the herbs to like yeah, the like they would like uh, like um, I'm trying to equate it to the degree of like like relate them together. You know what I mean? Maybe equate wasn't the right. Maybe relate. My brain isn't working. Maybe I should have said relate. Um, but like the, the you think that's related together that that would go hand in hand? Because I almost feel like um. Because they give, they were given, you know, give thanks to nature, you know, back with the, in the natives, you know. Oh yes, yes, they honored, they honored nature. It was a, a very huge part of their life. It, they respected it because it gave them a figure. It, it gave them food. It gave them healing herbs. You know, it was. They were very grateful for all that. So yeah, you know, maybe that very well could be the case. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what the difference is between the diff- all these different things, you know, with the, cause the fairy, the fairy that we know from TV, you have like dad stance, but then they have like the elves and stuff like that. Um, why do you think there would be multiple types of, of a certain thing? I think that, uh, 
Oh, go ahead. Oh, that's what I was just going to say. I think it just depends on the culture and where they're, you know, where they're coming from. Um, you know, that they just kind of design them a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, you know, like, for instance, uh, Native Americans, we have shapeshifters. And if you look at some of the the other cultures from, um, like, England and, the, like, all through these these places that have these fairies some of them are the 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 um the pukas that come in in the shape of a horse so i mean i think it kind of depends on where you are in this world what part of the country you're from that you would maybe have all these different names but they're also very similar do you think that there might be just a spirit of something that takes takes many different forms so to speak. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and, you know, that's what I think. I think it's a lot. It's kind of like if you look at, at religion in a whole, it's kind yeah. of, you know, our divine being, you know, God, creator, spirit comes under so many different names. Mm. Like, you know, he's known as many. And I think this could be a similar thing with the fairies. You know, they know as fairies, um, elves goblins sprites and i think it just kind of depends from you know what what part of the country or tribe that you happen to be with that you would refer to them you, yeah what do you think ray well I, I agree it's the the local culture interpreting them uh what they're encountering in the language and the traditions of that culture putting their spin on it so that they can understand it because they're trying to they're trying to explain something that's beyond the day to day, and they're trying to come to grips with something that um, they really can't explain. So they have to put tags or labels on it, and they have to relate it in a way that people would understand. Um, I, I equate that roughly, uh, or, or a little bit like if you take um, a shaman out in the in Western United States goes on a journey and sees uh, beings from another dimension, spirit guides, spirit guides, let's say. And he tries to describe it to people. Well, how is he going to describe to his people something that doesn't exist here? He's going to have to relate it to something that they know. Yeah. And what the people know out in the, in the far West is vastly different than what the people would know in Europe at the same time, let's say medieval times. So by trying to put it in terms and in images that a local culture could understand, it's going to get its own spin for that culture and that its own understanding in that culture, which are going to say, you know, in one area, it might be a skinwalker. In another area, it might be a fairy. In another area, it might be uh in parts of France, it might be a werewolf at one time, which yeah. was another form of a shapeshifter. So it it just multiplies that way, but it's basically something outside of our knowledge and direct experience in this world. And when we do, we have to relate to it somehow to be comfortable in, in even accepting that it exists. We have to make it something we can understand because people don't want something to be there that's beyond them. They like the ego says, uh, oh, I I get a handle on this. It's a such and such. And uh, oh no, wait a minute. No, it's, it's something completely different. Um, I go more for the cultures that say it is, 
but they don't try and put a label on it. They just yeah. admit it is. Okay, it's there. What is it? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's there. This is what happens. But it's what it's uh, the other. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, some are benign while others are maligned and hostile to uh, mortals. Uh, some are seen as fair while others are considered ugly and monstrous to look at. They can come in all shapes and sizes, tall, short, fat, skinny. So there's really no clear definition of fa- what fairies look like. Uh, different types of fairies may also have different types of magical powers. Um, the, we got uh, the earlier uh, Celtic traditions, you know, fairies, the former Irish and Welsh deities were also not fairies in the usual sense. They look very much like human uh, in size, shape, and except that they have a special magical powers and they seemed eternally young, but they don't have wings. Uh, the Danans, or their Welsh counterparts, were usually seen as a race of fair people. They can die just as mortals can, but their lives could last hundreds or even thousands of years. And that's one of the common things that you'll come across, too, is the life the lifespan. You know what I mean? They definitely have that um, that long life. You think that's just old world type stuff? Because, you know, we in the Bible and stuff, there was people living very old. You know what I mean? In a lot of cultures, um, the more important someone was the greater they were um, later on when they told stories about them to kind of remove them from the common man, so to speak, it would give them a long lifespan. Yeah. It was kind of like, Oh, so-and-so was so fantastic. He lived 600 years and everybody hearing the story would go, Whoa, the average yeah. person then maybe lived 40 years. <laughs> so it was like, wow, he must've been great. He lived the 600 years old. Wow, tell me that story again. And it's the same thing. These powers and these things that are uh, elemental, so to speak, or others. Um, we're trying to define your lifespan. And in, in when we do, we're extending that lifespan as a sense of power. Because we actually don't know. If they're in a different realm, whether it be dimension, a spirit world, etc. We don't know what a lifespan might be. We don't know if they're immortal. Yeah. I mean, if you go back to the jinn, um, there were good ones and there were bad ones, but they're immortal. We said that fairies live this long. We said, on something we don't fully understand, in our labeling, we gave them a lifespan. And the more powerful ones, probably a longer lifespan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They said as uh, Christianity spread the West and the North, uh, the deities that were worshipped before the conversion of Christianity were reduced to the status of fairies in Celtic mythology and folklore. Um, I know when Christian authors have also turned them into beings of the serving the devil, you know, calling them demons and stuff like that. But I assume that that would happen like a lot, you know what I mean? I think so, yes, because especially when it comes to uh, organized religion, they to might make someone mad when I say this, but they like to control the masses. Yeah. And a good way to do that is through fear. I mean, today things are a little bit lighter, but boy, oh boy, you know, you go back to, you know, a hundred years, 150 years ago, and 
organized religion was horrifying. I mean, they they literally put the fear of God in you. You knew you were going to die if you just made one wrong move. Yeah. So to have, um, I think to, to have that control threatened, anything that anybody believed that wasn't what they wanted, they made it sound bad. It's going to hurt you. It's evil. It's because they wanted you to move away from it, to move into that organized religion. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I. That's where we lost a lot of our, you know, a lot of our uh, knowledge from our ancestors from all different cultures. It was all through fear. Yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, it's crazy. You know what I mean? The one thing that I was like, uh, if I was to consider myself a religion, I would be Christian. You know what I mean? But it's crazy just how. You know, they don't, they, the way they look at even the paranormal stuff, how they deny all that, but like, it's very, their story is super paranormal. I don't know how, I don't know why, how they can't just like come to grips with the reality of like, you know what I mean? The whole big picture, but it's yeah. a weird, yeah. Oh, I agree. I mean, you've got people in the churches, you've got special priests that do these exorcisms, um, and they know that there are places with energies and hauntings, but, you know, yet they'll deny it if you, but, yeah. so yeah, you know, it's. They, yeah, they deny it. They don't want to explain it. I think they're a little too lazy to explain things because they, I mean, they already unfortunately can't explain their book half the time. So it's like adding mm-hmm. more to the pile for them to have to figure out. They just go, no, no, no such thing. No such thing. It's easier that way. Absolutely. Well, the history of, uh, I think, not only in this country, but in a lot of the world, the history of whatever organized religion was in power at the time. Like I know locally, um, there's a shrine. Yeah. uh, The Roman Catholic shrine. And it was built on what used to be a sacred Native American site. Now, several cathedrals in Europe were all built on Celtic sacred sites. Mm. They would come in, demolish, build a church, and say, look, our God is greater than yours. They tried to bash the legends, bash the beliefs, and establish themselves so that, you know, if we can do this to your sacred place, you behave, because we'll come for you next. Yeah. So it was, it's a, it became a very human power thing, less of a spiritual thing. And, and when the religions aren't down down to talk about your deal you have to go to literature the only other people that'll be talking about it It, you know that most of the information that we have about irish fairies comes from the 19th century poet william butler yates which is a very famous uh poet you know what i mean i've seen many a book at the old at the old uh barnes and noble by that joke but he he wrote two works which is of interest uh we have the celtic twilight uh, in 1893, and also published again, I think, in 1902. And we have the Fairy and Folk Tales of the Irish Peasantry from 1888. Uh, in Fairy and Folk Tales of the Irish Peasantry, uh, it's not only a description of fairies, it is a collection of works, poems, and prose uh, from other authors such as T. Croft and Croker and Lady Wilde. So you got a group all teaming in. In this work, he divided the fairies into two broad categories. One, trooping fairies or social fairies and two 
solitary fairies. I feel like I'm more of a solitary fairy myself. <laughs> Social or grouping fairies are those who lived in a large company, like in a clan. Uh, the Tuatha de Danan, who lived in the city, ruled by a king and sometimes a queen or possibly both, can be considered as the social fairies. They are often seen feasting, singing, and dancing. They can be either benevolent or hostile to humans, depending on how much spirit they have in them that evening. <laughs> um, an- another example of trooping fairies is the Marot. Um, the solitary fairy usually avoid large gatherings. Uh, there are many types of solitary fairies, such as banshee, leprechaun, clericon, brownie, puka, etc. Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of it's, it's kind of the spirit of things. I feel you know, like that party atmosphere. You would say, "Oh, we got a spirit of the party in here," which I assume there had to have been a time when. When the potty was really popping, they'd go, we got something else with us. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they would be like, yeah, you know what I mean? We got some banshee. We got some, throw on some banshee and leprechaun. We're going to get dark. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so it's like one of those weird uh, vibes. It's like the, whatever the vibe is. Uh, it's almost a way to kind of um, give an explanation to the mood, the energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That energy is kind of like, you know, what you <clears throat> what you put out to attract. Mm-hmm. So you put that out there and they're all feeding off it and and uh having themselves a good old time. Yeah. You usually uh, huh? I was going to like I was going to say it's like you're having a kick-ass party. Yeah. And your uninvited neighbor comes over and joins in. Oh no. That's yeah. it. <laughs> that, that, that's what it is. They, they're, having, they're having a good old time there. And these spirits, these fairies decide, I'm going to join this party. And that just ratchets, that just, boom, raises the whole thing up. They go, what leprechaun brought this guy over here? <laughs> uh, in, in their culture, <laughs> in literature, generally they can be recognized by the type of jackets that they wore. Uh, the social fairies wore green jackets while the solitary fairies wore red. Uh, but sometimes their jackets are brown or gray. So that's kind of, I think, that uh, mood, you know, bringing the mood, adding the mood. It's more of a, I mean, what a better way to give, throw a mood on something than the color. You know what I mean? Any of them have black jackets? <laughs> no, no black jackets. Brown or gray, that's as dark as a god form. That's that's my favorite color. I have more clothes and jackets in black than anything else. I believe I believe there's an episode of Shock Treatment with Mel and Maddie called The Actor in Black. Everybody Ooh. should check out. Yeah, it was a very great interview with the great Ray Boone. Uh, another writer, Wirt Sykes, wrote in the British Goblins, 1880, comparing the Welsh fairies to that of Norse and Teutonic fairies. Sykes says that there are four types in the Norse tradition. One, elves. Two, dwarfs and troll. And three, nisses. And four, uh, necks, mermen, and mermaids. Now, elves I know. Dwarves and trolls, of course. Now, nisses. Audra, do you know what a nisses is? I am really not sure. 
Um, I know. I, yeah. It's, uh, and I know, and, and, and I know mermen and mermaids, of course, you know what I mean? It's just the, the male and female mermaid type thing. Now it also listed a neck. Have you ever heard that term either? I have never heard of that term. Yeah. No. Uh, that's all new to me. I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the nisses and the necks are, but while in the Welsh tradition, we'll ask Ray in a second. Yeah. While in the Welsh tradition, um, the Eilion or the elves, that's number one. Yep. Uh, yeah, the traditions there are the Elion or the elves. Uh, and then number two is the Coblenu or the mind fairies. Uh, Ooh, that sounds kind of scary, the mind fairy. I know that that those are the fa- I can already figure that they're the fairies that guide you out of the mind if you get lost. Or uh, if you're if you're or you're sick, they guide you into the into the mind to, to to perish. You know what I mean? Hey Ray, I had a quick question for you, bud. Yeah. If we're talking about Norse tradition, okay, um, do you know what a niss is? N i s s e s. What a niss is, is that's a tough word for me. But a niss- no, no. And they talk, and number four, they say. Next, mermen and mermaids. So you got the mermaid and the mer- the the man and female mermaid, and then a neck. Do you know what a neck is? Other than uh, what you know, can put your head and your body together. Uh no, I don't. That's interesting. They stumped us. Yeah. Yeah. We were ju- we were just talking about mine fairies, uh, in the mines. That's a, it does sound creepy. I agree. But we did have that episode about uh, what lives in the earth below us. That's true. That's true. Uh, the, the Nordic culture obviously has their own idea uh, with the mind fairies, what comes up mm. for you. Uh, we got the Washan or the household fairies. I assume that they would be household fairies would probably be... Uh, more probably a friendlier fairy, you know, being, a, but it could be the flip, you know, household almost sounds like uh, helps with chores. You know what I mean? You know, one of those weird things. I was going to say it kind of probably uh, depends on whether you've irritated them. Either they'll help you do stuff or they'll mess with you and take your stuff and hide it. You that's know, where, that's where all those socks go. Yes. Yes. You know I mean? <laughs> oh, now, 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 wait a minute. I now <laughs> understand why. When I take out that old pair of jeans, they don't fit anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it's those darn fairies, Ray. They've been sewing them up tight. They've been putting it in the. They've been drying them. <laughs> we got we got the the Gragged Anwin. I don't even know how that's a word. A N N W N. But we'll go with it. Uh, or the fairies of the lakes and streams. Now the lakes and streams, I always they're they're um, there's something about them, you know what I mean? It's the bodies of water. I think that they, there's some energy there, especially ones that go out to the ocean. I think that there's like the little rivers or what, that'll flow out to the ocean. I think there's a lot to be said about them. I think they're like a weird cycle of life type thing. Like they're they're the uh, I, I, there was something I heard recently. Maybe I said it, and it was like, life is kind of like, um, man, I wish I remembered it. it was kind of good, too. It was something about like a raindrop. Life's just kind of like a raindrop 
that's working its way back to the ocean type deal. And then once it's back in the ocean, it gets evaporated up into the sky and becomes a raindrop again, like some weird thing like that. Um, so I think that the ocean and the water, I think that, and because we have so much water in us, I think that there's like, like I think water plays a gigantically huge part of it, our existence that we don't even realize, even lower than the surface, even more so than like our bodies being made up of and stuff. You know, I think just the whole universe and everything, like water is uh, hugely important in more ways than bond. I know in many, uh, in many cultures, Water is a great conductor of spiritual energy. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's almost like the, the windows, of vortex. It's uh, ways for spirits to pass through mm-hmm. to different places. They travel through the water. Yeah. And I, I get that gate, like that gatekeeper vibe from the fairies of lakes and streams. You know what I mean? And it yeah. Prob- it's probably, you know, for, for a long time, it was the quickest way of travel. You know what I mean? It's, it was the automobile, the train of its day. You just hop on something that floated, and it took you down the river. You know what I mean? It held a lot of power uh, in that sense, too, to people that needed to get places back in that time. And it could be worshipped. It could have been worshipped. You know, the times of people worshipping and leaving, maybe sacrifices or leaving things. We talked many times about... Um, you know, the human mind conjuring thing, which I'm, I'm big on that right, right now, where if you believe something enough to be true or if you to put, if I was to take this cup and say and every day start praying to it and saying that it's the greatest thing in the world, I feel like that it would eventually something, some energy would grow around that cup just for me giving it all of my attention and love and whatever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like the vi- there's a lot of weird vibes that are left out there from times like that where people would worship the stream because it was, and I don't I've never really thought about it that way, but it, it's true. It's the quick it was the quickest way of transportation way back when before we had automobiles or anything. Well, it also was uh, it gave life because you needed to drink water and food, yeah. but it also took life when it was flooding, mm. or if there wasn't enough, you couldn't grow plants. Right. So is that give and take, and life depended a lot on water, whether it was the rain, the river, the streams, the lake. It was back and forth, that give and take of life and death, and that's all wrapped up in water. It's true. You know, they also had the, the Gwalian or the mountain fairies, which sounded a lot like what, what I'd assume, you know, these lake streams or mine fairies to be like, but within the mountains, you know. Spirits. Yeah. You know, it could be what you guys take on trees, the energy. You think a tree would have a spirit? You think plants have, they're, they're living things, you know? What do you think? I think so, yeah. Um, you figure these trees um, and landscapes have been around for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years, depending. And um, they soak up energy and especially a place that is considered sacred where you've got a lot of prayer because all this energy is coming out of people and it's getting absorbed, mm. absorbed into that land, absorbed into the trees. So yeah, I definitely think they can to some have a sense of a spirit of their own. You know, they've, they've taken on this energy whether it be good or bad, you know, you hear about the dark forests and stuff. And I think those are probably places 
where there was so much um, bad things and negativity that it actually took on that dark energy, just like a, a positive place of worship, the, the trees and the earth would take on light. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, it's a, the forest is a real magical place, you know, and we, we knocked it all, knocked some of it down. You know, we need that, the trees to breathe and the whole, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing, but we're going to pop into some, uh, some, you know, go a little deeper into the types of fairies. And, you know, the first up, we got Banshee. Uh, originally in Irish literature, the Banshee actually means woman of fairy mound or just simply as fairy woman. Banshee or bean, meaning woman, the various spelling or uh, pronunciation of the word for fairy mound referred to otherworldly realm, which the Irish referred to as she, Sid, Sid, or Sid. Uh, The word banshee uh, may have originated from East Munster, and there are many ways it can be spelt. In the Irish Gaelic, it could be spelt as banshee, bean, Sid, or benside. The Scottish words are non are uh, Bansith, Beanshith, and Beansith, and the Manx <laughs> from Banshi. Uh, they later changed it. Uh, but, you know, she, uh, she only foretells the pending death of a person. Unlike the Breton fairy woman, Corrigan, the Banshee doesn't cause a person's death with her power or curse. Related to the Banshee is the washer or the washerwoman at the ford known in Scottish folklore as Beansai. So that's it. The, the Corrigan there, that's interesting. There's a, that's The Corrigan's, I guess, the, the, the fairy that would kill you. It's interesting that uh, <clears throat> the Banshee could be the Lady of the Mound because quite often at that, if you go back in history, uh, <clears throat> and they still have some sites still around, uh, particularly in different parts of the British Isles, is that they had burials in mounds. And uh, what I'm thinking is they made the association that if, if you violate that burial or if you go on that mound, the spirit of death or the banshee will come out after you. Then mm. that, that's where it resided, where, with the dead that were in the mound. Yeah. Now, as far as the Corrigan goes, she tried to seduce a mortal who would drink from her water. She would lure him in to sleep with her. If the man refused her advance or seduction, she would angrily curse him to a doom. This is what happened to the Signor of Nan. Uh, the Signor was married to a woman whom he loved. One day, his wife asked for some may blossoms from the forest. Uh, he rode out, and during his ride, he became thirsty and drank from the water fountain. Here, he encountered Corrigan, who demanded that he sleep with her. But, uh, but he angrily refused because he was faithful to his wife and rode away after hearing that he would die in three days. Uh, the moment he rode back to the castle, he went immediately to the church instead of back to his wife. The priest, his mother, and other people kept the secret, uh, the secret of his fate from his wife. Three days later, uh, the mother finally told her daughter-in-law the truth. The wife died of a broken heart and was buried beside Senor. So that's kind of the little legend around that one, you know, which is very interesting. Uh, That one's dark. That one's a little twisted. Got a little bit of twist on it. You know what I mean? 
Uh, what do you think of that one? Ah, you know, that was a new one on me, and that is really just twisted and dark. So my take is uh, if they just let her have her way with them, they'd be all set and kind of wander on off okay, and life would be good, or do you wonder that she killed them anyway? I feel, I feel like... She, I, I feel like there's probably a weird jealousy that would come after and you'd get cursed anyways. Yeah. That's yeah. my take, you know? And that's what I'm trying to think of. That's reminding me of something else. Uh, oh, um, 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 Head of Snakes, I was thinking a little bit. What's yeah, it? like kind of like Medusa. Yeah, Medusa, and there's there, there, there's some other um, folks from, from, from like... Uh, from the, the Iliad and the Odyssey times where, you know, I remember he showed up somewhere and there was all these different, all these like. Oh, you, like the sirens. The sirens, yes. Yeah, they want him to stay and he didn't want to stay and they got upset. It kind of has that vibe to it too, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, it's great. We got the, the Bohan Sith, a Scottish version of the female vampire or a succubus. Uh, Boham Sith are found in Scottish Gaelic oral tradition. Those who would take her in its embrace, in his embrace, would have the blood suck from their body. Um, not to be confused with the Bean Sith or the Irish Banshee. So these are some these are some dark fairies we're getting into here. Um, drinking your blood's pretty horrifying. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. I, I wonder if this was pre. Dracul. This is pre-Dracul, or if this was, uh, like, if this was the original female Dracula, so to speak. Oh, yeah. When 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 did Bram Stoker do that? Wait. I think what? after this. I, I, I think, I think it's uh, way, off, way after this time, I think. Oh, gee, the late 1800s or early 1900s. Oh, okay. So this is pre-Bram Stoker. This is, like, oh, original. Yeah. This, yeah, so that would be original vampires before he started his wow yeah 1897 yeah he was uh he did the spin of the male making the deal with the devil to become the vampire but it was the the uh blood-sucking life force that was involved similar to what the the myth you just let you just read yeah you know the the, ban- the banshee. To go back to that real quick, did, on occasions the banshee is also headless when it appears to people, and it's re- been reported in 1807 that one headless banshee had frightened two two uh, frightened to death two centuries stationed at James Park. So that's interesting. Um, there's a lot of bad things going on here, but yeah, this uh, yeah, that the blood sucking thing is horrifying. It's uh. And it's the life, you know, the blood is your, is the lifeline. I mean, I probably goes back to the beginning of all that stuff too. I like that. Right. That was a nice setup. Uh, no, I was just kind of laughing at the, the, the headless one and the two people died. Yeah. She was just trying to get ahead in the world. That's all. <laughs> I wonder too. Now here you go back to the headless horseman, That's the, true. Tail of the, kabod, the tail of the kabod crane. So, how how did that is that something that came you know from from these fairies yeah, that's true because like the place that he haunted was right over that river right yes so yes. that kind 
got that little tie into it too. Uh, we got. We also have the Bean Nye. Um, according to the Scottish tradition, the Bean Nye was a woman who died at childbirth. She was described as a woman dressed in green, but can be recognized by her webbed feet. The female figure that uh, presaging death, but they were found uh, at streams or lakes, washing blood-stained clothes of those who would die. Hmm. It was better for a person to see her first before she sees that person. It was possible for a person to escape his or her doom if the person was brave enough, uh, seized her breast, and suck on it. The person was then protected because he or she would become a foster child of this female's wrath. Weird. That's twisted. Uh, yeah, somebody had some weird. Somebody had some weird sexual fantasies going there. It, it makes you wow. the first person who discovered that that trick worked. That they said, "Oh, I'm so scared. What can I do? I'm gonna go suckle on her breast," and that like made things better. It was probably it was probably some Don Juan who said, "Ooh." If I, you know, if I do whatever, she'll love me and she won't hurt me. Weird. Oh. Yeah, it's kind of like the first guy who took a look at a cow and said, if I squeeze those, I won't be th- I can get something to drink. It's like, really? <laughs> That's an interesting one, too. You know, it's the little, the little, the little changes in life, the little decisions we make. Um, That's, yeah, that's. And, you know, that more, what, what's your guys' take on the fact that, like, sexuality is involved with these last two? You think that just goes back to the Greek, like, the whole Greek over-sexualized uh, way of things, or? I think it's, a, it's oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm, I'm really not sure on that one. It's... Well, I think that uh, if you're looking at, at that at the Greek, and that was highly sexual, but you're also looking again, if we return to organized religion and churches, and basically that control thing, and they're trying to make sex evil. Uh, So what do you do is, oh, you got a succubus. Oh, the only way you're going to live is from the, the, you know, if you suckle on, on the breast of this demon, and they're making it all horrendous, and they're associating it with sex, then turning around saying, see how bad sex is, unless you're the king and you're banging everybody in your court. But if you're the common person, it's bad. What's interesting about that one is that at that time, the woman who would suckle the child, that was how the child lived. The breast milk was basically the milk of life. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting that in the story, you have to partake of that milk of life for you to live. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of a mix of local culture and then you take it and you overlay it with um, sexual tension. A lot of it by uh, maybe a religious group to make it bad. And then you stir that around in a pot pot, and then you have this uh, legend that comes to the top. Yeah. It's one of those... uh... It's kind of weird. Like a sign of the times is it's like, like sex was the answer more than being like, you know, the name of God or something. You know what I mean? In a different time, they would just, you know, throw the name of God at it and it would be, you know, it would go away. But now it's like, oh, we have to have, you got to have, you got to do something sexual with it. Very weird. But I mean, it is, you know, sex is, life comes from sex. So it has that element too. You know what I mean? 
um, you know, the Welsh tradition, uh, the Washer Modron, the great goddess and mother of Mabon, was uh, no figure uh, presaging the fate of a person. Madron was doomed to wash the Ryad Jigafarfa, or the Ford of Barking, until a Christian break the curse she's been, she has been under uh, by sleeping with her and fathering a son. So Christian, I just find it's weird because you get the, a Christian has to break the curse. It's like, but then Christians don't believe, like, sex before marriage is a sin. And it's just like, and like, you're not, you're, you're, even if you were to take, like, a worldly reason for sex is love. And that's not even a reason here. You know what I mean? Like, the sex is definitely, it's like a bargaining chip. You know what I mean? I find it weird. I find it a little bit weird, but that's just the yin and yang of how when people, when different people are in charge, the different things they'll put out there. You know, you can go, you can go to different cultured films and you can see nudity on TV, but not here. You know what I mean? Different cultures. That's how it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I think you're around the money with that one. I'm, I'm agreeing with that a hundred percent. I thank you. Uh, next up, we have the brownie, which I thought when I heard that, I got intrigued because I thought of the, the, the after school snack, of course. Um, in Scottish Gaelic folklore, the brownie uh, was household elf. Makes sense. Bacon brownies. Uh, what, what else you like to do at home? Who would make sure their home was tidy at night while the family is sleeping? Everybody loved that. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, I want like that. He's a good one, but we might have trouble coming up. Failing to reward the brownie for his service would result in either the brownie leaving the household or at worst, mischievously causing havoc in the house, such as breaking dishes, spoiling milk, and chasing away cattle or other animals from the property. The brownie is comparable to the German kobold, which pretty much had the same function as the brownie has. So it's... This is another one of those things that it's it's almost like a like a spirit like a possess like almost like a, you know if you you bring it in your house and you treat it good everything's fine and dandy but then when it doesn't get what it wants it gets you know chaotic yeah throws so a temper tantrum it kind of has like a demon vibe to it you know yeah yep treat me nice take good care of me and uh, don't irritate me or I'm gonna make your life a living hell. Yeah. Exactly. Narcissistic little fairy. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking these are. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking these are like spirits. Uh, you know, possibly demonic things that that, and that people just see them differently. I think that's what I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning. Me, I'm leaning a little towards that. We have the changeling, like the film, like the film, right? Oh, the changeling. Yeah, the changeling. According to folklore, a fairy would secretly exchange a mortal infant with that of a fairy kind. A fairy baby was called changeling. Sometimes the stolen babies were returned to the families, especially when a person can expose the true nature of the changeling. The changeling existed in uh, all folklore and fairy tales. I hate that. I don't want to know what happens to the babies that don't return. In, Scot- in Scottish Gaelic tradition, the changeling was called Tasharan or Umada. In the Irish folklore, it is uh, Korpan Sid or Sabrad or Sofra. And in Manx, it is 
Ayahano. She. Uh, the Welsh called them Plentin and Needwid in Aral. Usually the fairy babies were sickly. Uh, one way to recognize them is to place them on a fire and chant a formula. That's one way to find out. <laughs> hey, put the baby on a fire. There you go. I, I love the old techniques of things. If it, if it is a changeling, it would leave climbing up the chimney. And if it just burns to death, it's your baby. You know I mean? uh, Yikes. What a world, huh? The crazy that's things. Hard. The crazy uh. That's horrifying. It really is. Who's the real bad guy in that situation? I know. You know, according to Yeats. Put it on the baby at Barbie? (laughs) Right, yeah. A stolen baby. (laughs) I know. Well, at least it's tender. (laughs) Well, it depends how long you cook it. You know. Um, a stolen baby will live in a, a place of full, good living and music and mirth. So I guess the, yeah, the, to comfort everybody, they tell them that they go into, they go into another a big party. Um, so far in Celtic mythology, I've come across mortal babies being stolen by fairies, but not replaced with fairy infants, which is creepier. And that kind of has that tooth fairy vibe to it a little bit too. Yes, yes. Uh, we have the Dulahan, the headless phantom coachman uh, who drive a black coach known as Coach Abauer. Sometimes drawn by headless horses, in the coach there is a coffin. Thomas Crofton Croker called it the death card. The Dulahan uh, were usually accompanied by the banshee, wailing as if in a funeral. Sometimes this banshee is also headless. In other tradition, the Dulahan doesn't ride in a coach but rides a headless horse. If a person opened a door when he or she hears the coach rumbling by, that person may have a pitcher full of blood thrown onto a person's face. That person is therefore marked for death. That's horrifying. It seemed that Dulahan can take off or put on its head at will. The Dulahan may even toss his head around like a gruesome ball game, which reminds me a lot of Evil Dead. There's a scene in the Evil Dead films like that. Those who watch him pass may lose their eye to his whip. According to Yeats, the cracking of the whip is the omen of death. Yeah. That one that was that was a hefty one. The Dulahan Dulahan might be my my favorite, least favorite one so far. I think that's the most plumped up. Um, they're big on the headless. They're very big on headless things. I think, you know, is that just like a horrifying people just couldn't wrap their head around that? But I mean, that had to have been going back (laughs) since the beginning of time. Well, you also had uh, executions where heads were cut off. Yeah. So it was, you know, one of the worst ways to die. Mm. Um, The head was put on a spike outside a castle or somewhere. Um, if you're also talking medieval times, which were violent times, you're probably telling stories to make sure your kids or anybody in the house did not open that door when they heard some noise outside. Yeah. Who knows? Because they would probably die or put the whole family at risk of dying. So I can see why this, this story kind of grows and gets big and has all these different aspects to it because it's, it's basically don't screw up, you'll lose your head or maybe the whole family will be killed. Keep the door shut. Keep it locked. 
leave whatever's out there in the <laughs> darkness of the night out in the dark night. Yeah. There obviously weren't street lamps. There were still wild animals around. There were robbers, thieves, and murderers around. Uh, if you're talking medieval or dark ages. So it's a very good way to convince everybody you lock down at night and you don't open that door. Otherwise, um, you know, you'll be that body that you usually find by the side of the world without a head. Yeah. You know, they're even, the Evil Dead films, they, even the, the, they're playing with the, they had like a balls even in there. But um, what's your take on the fact that you seeing with the t- what you were talking about with beheadings and not only would they be painful, but it also kind of be the sign of a bad person if they didn't have their head like, well, they got their head cut off to die because they were this or that. And that's why they don't have their head now. What's your take on something like that? Uh, I, I can I can agree. Uh, if you went against authority, you you were beheaded. So, yeah, a headless person is automatically associated with rebellion and evil. Yeah. And the other thing is that there was a time, there was a thing where a person could hopefully have enough money to tip the person who was doing the beheading. Mm. And the reason was to have a sharp sword or axe and a clean stroke. Because it was not uncommon for them to have to whack at it several times to get it severed. So if you were noble or if you had some money, you'd go to the executioner and uh, or your family would to try and bribe them to make sure that, you know, use your best axe, keep it uh, keep it sharp and try and do it in one stroke. Wow. That's tough. That's which that's makes me which makes me heading even more gruesome when you think that somebody might have to hack several times to get it off. I've seen those videos online. I don't want to talk about them. (laughs) (laughs) There's a, in the decent to the head phantom or person scattered throughout older Celtic, uh, Celtic literature. Uh, The best known was Kuroi, a king of Munster who was involved in a beheading games uh, with three Ulsters champions in the tale of uh, Fled Bisserin. A similar beheading tale is found in the Middle English poem, Sir Gwain and the Green Knight. I wanted to bring that up just because there's a movie coming out pretty soon called The Green Knight that's based off of that. Huh. Yeah. Uh, A24, I heard it was a slow burn. I heard it was a pretty slow... They make good flicks, but I heard that was a slow burn. Uh, we also have Elves. We have some elves in the mix. The elf or the elf. Elf spelled E-L-F and then elf like the alien elf, which is nice. Oh, elf. elf. (laughs) I wish there was a bunch of elves running around. Elf was derived from the Teutonic origin. Description of the elf varied from the author to author. Uh, From one period to another, the elves were introduced into the Celtic, uh, the Celtic folklore and later tradition. According to the Norse myths, there are two groups of tribes of elves. One, the light elves known as Ijaslafa, uh, they lived in the world called Elfum, which, uh, which the Venere god Freyr ruled. The light elves were seen as fear. The other group of elves were the dark elves, the Dokafar, living in Nadifilir. Uh, the black elves, Savatavar, living in the world called Savatarium. There seemed to be a difference between dark elves and black elves. The dark elves were described with complexion, black than night, and they were short like dwarves. The dark elves 
like dwarves, were known for their invention and craftsmanship. Yeah, I've heard that before about, like, elves and trolls being good at craftsmanship and stuff like that. So they were just, like, harmless ones then? They just kind of chilled out and did their crafts and didn't really bother anybody? Yeah, they're like Ewoks. I got, like, an Ewok vibe from then. They just want to live and let live a little bit. To the Norse tradition, the elves were spirits of the minor deities of the woodland or household. Uh, in the Norse mythology section, in later Germanic folklore, the elves had changed, becoming uh, diminutive in size, like the Celtic counterparts of the fairies. It was this tradition as household spirits that the elves were later given the Germanic and Celtic folklore traditions. The closest thing that the Celtic people had to the elves were the Eliel from Welsh tradition. They were short or tiny can be seen as uh, benevolent and if pleased so they would care for the house doing chores in the night uh like like we said before um, with those other things if you don't get their way they freak out we have the fool which i don't think that's like the fool we know nowadays everybody's seen the fool walking down the street um the fool is known in irish and scottish gaelic as amadan as a social fairy uh, maybe we are talking about the same type of fool. They're, they're sometimes seen wiser than their masters. All right, never mind. Uh, according to the W.B. Yeats, the great fool, or the Amadon, resides in the fairy palace. In Yeats' description of the queen of the fool, the fairy queen, and the fool in the royal household of great powers, it was better to avoid these two figures in the palace because their touch can cause paralytic seizure or even death to any mortal. This touch is known as poxied, or the fairy stroke. The stroke is an English medical term for the cerebral hemorrhage. The fool is to be especially avoided on the month of June. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder why. Hmm. Yeah. It's a crazy thing. We have the goblin. All right. Just like the names uh, fairy and elf goblin has different meaning and different usage for different people, only several creatures are seen as goblins in Celtic folklore, but goblin is probably not the right description. Some goblins can appear uh, benevolent, while others are mischievous or malevolent creatures. In Irish folklore, the Dullahan, which is our, our friend from before, the Clericoon were considered to be goblins, and so was the Welsh Bwagan. In Irish myth about Finn Mach Cumul, there is an alien Mach Medina, better known as Aelin the Burner. Sounds like a rapper. Who <laughs> 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 was considered to be a goblin. On Samhain Eve, Aelin would come pl- playing his harp, whose melody would put everyone to sleep. This has the musical thing, so I mean, it's not that far off. Where he could he could cause a part of the destruction of Tara. There was no description of what he looked like. Looked like a rapper. So uh, that was the goblin. That was the goblin, yeah. Which is funny because there's a ra- there was a rapper that had an out al- that had a bra- I think it was for his big album was called Goblin, and he was like a he was a very artistic dark dark rapper. So it's very possible that he took everything from this folklore and it kind of makes sense like the pied piper type thing a little bit you know what i mean yes playing his fiddle and taking away the town's children for bad things you know corruption like the oh, it, make, 
rock and roll. It makes sense that it makes sense that no one would see him if you put everybody to sleep. Right. The perfect cover. That's yeah. true. Yeah, that that Pied Piper. I always felt Pied Pipers and like rock stars were like in the same same thing. You know what I mean? It was just like a newer age Pied Piper type deal. You should have all their all the the bad all all kind of big celebrity musical people because they get worshipped. You know what I mean? And they don't exactly uh, send their people down the right path all the time. You know. Next up, we have the Leprechaun, one of the most famous, probably of all the fairies people know the most is the leprechaun however the leprechaun uh, statuettes that we see in people's garden have been seriously misrepresented which that's more of a gnome i feel like at gardens yeah yeah which they didn't really tap into this i don't think in irish folklore the leprechaun was one of the best known male solitary fairy uh, they have a lot in common with two other male solitary fairies, the Claricon and the Fardareg. Like these other two fairies, they are mischievous and known for playing practical jokes upon mortals. The leprechaun could get spelt leprechaun. In Irish, it is the Lee Brogahan or the Leith Fragan. Uh, they dressed in home-style clothes that look very ordinary compared to other solitary fairies. The leprechaun was a tiny male figure with an old, withered face. He was the shoemaker. Yeet says that he was one He was one shoemaker because he was only seen making a single shoe. They also have hidden many treasure crocs, um, which is, the, you know, they're, they're uh, at the end of the rainbow thing, the pot of gold. Most of the tales about leprechauns can be found in Thomas Croft and Croker's fairy legends and traditions and Lady Wilde's ancient legend legends, mystic charms and superstition of Ireland. So yeah, the leprechauns kind of been one of those ones that are, uh, they're usually more mischievous and they get, they grant wishes, but I believe they're there. They're one of the ones that can go grant wishes for people. Um, you have to catch them, though. Is that the is that the thing? You have to you have to catch them in order for them to grant you the wish. I think you're. I think that's the deal. Yeah, I think you're gonna catch them, and there they have all those the stipulations. That'd be a good episode too, because there's a lot there's a lot of stipulations. Uh, I, I my my folklore I mainly know from watching the horror movies, Leprechaun. <laughs> so I don't know how true they. I don't know how true to fact they are. Yeah, but that, that's better than me. My as far as my knowledge of leprechauns before this, had to do with Lucky Charms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's magically delicious. <laughs> and uh, next up we have Puka. A Puka or Puka was a shape-shifting creature, depending on the writers. The Puka was either benevolent or malevolent fairy. They were often identif- identified with the PWCA of Welsh tradition. According to Yeats, whom he listed T.C. Croker as one of his sources, the puka was either mischievous or malevolent, and often taking the shape of a horse, offering unsuspecting traveler a ride that was dangerous if not deadly. Other shape uh, it favored as the ass. Yeats says that the lady, lady Wilde believed that the puka was benevolent and helpful like the Scottish brownie. They appeared most frequently on November Eve. 
uh, in the night of October 31st. So that goes into the uh, Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman right here, too, I think. Yeah. Yep, which is Samhain Eve, or the modern Halloween, in which the puka would spoil Blackberry. Now, with it being a horse, I know a lot, isn't Blackberry, the horses eat Blackberries, right? I don't know. I think, I don't know if that's something that makes their stomach, that could hurt them. If it could, if it does, that that kind of makes sense why the horse would spoil the Blackberry, because Blackberry would make it, I know there's certain berries that if certain animals eat, they'll kill them, you know what I mean? Right. So I want, it, it very well could be, that could be some of that, you know, but so yeah, so fairies, fairies. Um, I had no idea going into this that there were so many, you know, that, that all these different things, the kind of, I would place is uh, almost crypto people, you know, they're like, uh, like, uh, you know, I guess I would sum them all together, but for, yeah, fair, for me, fairies have always kind of been Tinkerbelly type deals where, oh, they were like flies. They were a little bigger than flies. They were like dragonflies that kind of came around and they had a little bit of magic to them and their fairy dust and all that. And uh, they didn't really do any, you know, do anything too crazy. You know what I mean? They could maybe change something small into something else, small or something. Um, but I had no idea of the, 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 the kind of the dark side of the fairies. You know what I mean? The dark side, um, I got my first glimpse of that uh, probably going back about 20 years ago when I first met somebody. And uh, she's still a friend. Um, she's Wiccan. And uh, had been her whole life. And we had done rituals together and shared different knowledge. And I got an idea that fairies were not just Tinkerbell at that point mm -hmm. there. And you have to respect them. Um, I didn't have anywhere near the knowledge of the background that this is given. But I knew that, okay, it's not just Lucky Charms, Tooth Fairy, and Tinkerbell. There's a whole lot out there. Yeah. Some of it's real troublesome, too, you know. Like the goblin, I never expected a goblin to make its way into it. You know what I mean? But I would put it, the same thing, like the Pugawaji trolls, all that stuff. Like, I don't, I'd lump all them together. But the fairy, fairy always had a weird supernatural. Um, like, yeah, those other things I feel are supernatural, but I feel like they're more creature-esque. You know what I mean? Like, it's more of a lost civilization-y type weird thing instead of just like this you know, spirit type deal. Like I definitely vibe with the fact, like to buy the water uh, and in the woods and stuff, but I feel like there's different, different entities. You know what I mean? Um, Audra, what'd you think of this, this, this trip down uh fairy lane here? I was really fascinated with it because like, like you guys too, I was thinking like, sweet little kind precious little wings fluttering around like a little fairy godmother and yeah. you know this is it was really crazy to learn just how horrible some of them really are and you know which is very very interesting to me and you do wonder if they have like their little communities you know mm. 
And this is this is what's kind of interesting to me is like you wonder if they really are just like any other culture where they have their little clans or you know and I, I don't know I just it's it was a lot it was really amazing to me yeah. and I now goblins I just always thought of like a goblin like a gargoyle yeah and it's not. You know, I mean, because the gargoyles are something that defend and protect, even though they're very frightening looking, where the goblin sounds like it, it's not, mm. <laughs> you know, and so it it was very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I remember the trolls, I believe, were protecting bridges at one point. That was the deal with them. They lived on the bridges and you'd have to get their permission to travel over them, supposedly. Yes. But yeah, the goblin is like a weird. It doesn't. It's it's yeah. It's more of a ghoul type thing, you know. That's at least like coming up. That's what I always like a ghoulie type um, type thing. Like like I could I could I could wrap my head around you know the trolls at the at the um, you know at the bridges and stuff. But the goblin's just kind of pugawudgy like almost, you know. Yes. Yeah. And that Dulahan, that Dulahan was some scary stuff. The Dulan was my favorite of all the scurs, of all the, the scariest, uh, out of all the other different types of fairies, which ones would, would, would use guys as favorite? I'd have to say the Dulan for myself, but for you two, which ones were the most interesting, we'll say, instead of favorite? I might not want to use favorite. Hmm. I'm actually fascinated with, like, the lakes, like the Lady of the Lakes. I just think... Um, because I just really, I like her because, you know, she's really a good fairy. You know, yeah. I mean, she's, she's protecting people. I mean, if it's your time to go, she's going to take you. If it's not, she's going to save you. And I don't know. I just, I kind of like her. I got a good vibe from the Lady of the Lake. She was my favorite. Our, uh, the Bridgewater Triangle had a Lady in the Lake story where uh, if you go there at night, the late hours of night, supposedly you can see a lady floating around on her back in the, in the swamp. And if you see her, she just like dips into the water, which is creepy, which is like horrifying. <laughs> Ray, which, which one did you enjoy, think was the most interesting? Well, I'll have to go with Lady in the Lake or Water Spirits. Um, I like the elemental tie-in. Yeah. Also, if you take my zodiac sign, I'm a water bearer. So for me, and uh, in, in the paranormal, uh, water is very big. Also, if you take into account, let's say, certain native stories, water also is a cleanser of negative energy. Um, so yeah, I'm going with water. These things would still be out there to this day, you know. You oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sitting here, and there's a river that runs by out back here. I love it. Yeah. You know, every now and, every now and then you'll hear a story of somebody lost in the woods that they have no idea how they found their way out, but they just walked, and you know, they eventually found their way out. Do you think that's just a walking thing, or do you think that there's actually maybe they could have been guided by something? I think that. Uh, if you if you can 
relax to some point or open up to some point, you will definitely be guided. Yeah. Um, you know, because there are so many energies. And even if you pay attention to birds, you know, like if you're lost and all of a sudden you've got a crow or you've got a hawk or something just like, bam, right in front of you. And it's, you follow it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of your, in my opinion, one of your ancestors coming to help you. So yeah. I definitely believe that um, people are guided out. I mean, especially people that aren't really, I mean, uh, avid woods people, you know, like these poor people that just go out, oh, yeah, I'm going to go for a hike, and all of a sudden it gets dark, and they have no sense of where they are. Right. I mean, that's going to be pretty frightening. So, yeah, I do believe that they do get guided out. Yeah, uh, or guided in, depending on the situation, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely, there's, there's good and bad. Uh, with the flow of this. Uh, if you guys were walking through the woods and you stumbled into some like uh, goblin type creatures, what would you do? Audra. <laughs> I have no idea. I really don't. I think I would be extremely surprised to see it. Yeah. And probably just try to... Uh, nicely walk away from it so as to not startle it you know i mean i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to startle anything that that i didn't understand you know right. uh, sure i think to try to be as respectful as i could and back away if if possible Uh-oh. pray <laughs> if not possible pray. you're in trouble yeah yeah pray you know uh, I really don't know. That's that's a really interesting question. What about you, Ray? Well, it would depend upon whether it noticed me. If I noticed it first, I would leave. If it noticed me, I'd strike up a conversation. I hear that. I'd pro- I'd probably backtrack. I'm with, yeah. It's weird. If it catches you, if it notices you, then you're in a weird you're in a weird deal. And it also kind of brings in that you know last couple episodes. Me and Ray have been talking about. Um, started with the Mothman episode where it's like, if there's some weird creature or entity that's very, you know, very rare, nobody else sees it. And you and that creature share a glance. Cause we've often talked about like just a handshake, you know, everybody's left with an imprint of each other. You know what I mean? So like, if you were to see this entity, um, that it could, you're almost, you you guys are you and that thing would be connected and it could almost drain your energy because of the connection. You know what I mean? Even though it's far away or whatever. I know that in the Mothman thing, there's people that um, after leaving the scene, you know, they would they would feel like they would see it at their house and stuff like it was kind of following them around. And I and, and you know, those people, a lot of them kind of died um, mysteriously, some not so mysteriously. You know, we did a list of people and, in, 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 you know, some of them, you, they were kind of pulling, you know, pulling uh, straws or hairs, whatever the term is there. You could be like, yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe one of those things. But uh, I do believe that there's a connect, there's some type of connection that can be made. I mean, you look at just humans, you know, when the people have love for each other, you know, and they, even if that love fades, like there's still an emotional attachment that'll always be there. So I think, in the sense of something like that, I think it ain't love, but it's just as strong. Fear, maybe it's fear on both sides. You know, fear is a very yeah. powerful thing. 
Um, now, another question I had real quick is like with these entities and, and this energy in the woods and the spirit of what these things are, do you think that's the same kind of energy and spirit that like is within the animals that are in the woods too? Because what's your take on that? Like you think that they are, they can interact with them or do you think that they're just as rare to the animals to see as us? Um, my personal opinion is I think they would interact more with the animals. Animals are much more open. Yeah. To, to energy, to spirit, they see a lot more than we do. Mm-hmm. So I think they have a very, um, very open relationship with the animals. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's just, I don't know, animals are really wonderful because they don't have that uh, society telling them that something's not right and this isn't the way you should think and these don't exist. They simply are. They simply connect and see energy for what it is. So I, I do believe they have a connection with them. Yeah. What do you think, Ray? Uh, definitely the animals are more connected. Um, as far as they could, they could see them, sense them, interact with them. As far as if you met one, um, I'm currently living in the same town that I grew up in. Uh, I was away for about 30 years and came back. Now, when I grew up, um, you had the house I lived in, two houses down, across the street, and there was the woods. I mean, compared to when I grew up, this place is it's still considered a small town. But compared to then, it's very big. Yeah. And my favorite thing... Uh, was to, and this was a time when you, you know, you just said, "Yeah, I'm going out to play," and that was it. Yeah. And this was at a young age; it was like five, six, seven years old, and stuff. Because we moved when I was about eleven, ten or eleven. Um, I would head into the woods. I'd spend all day there by the streams, to go down to the reservoir, the lakes, the streams, the woods. That's where I spent all my time. I really. Didn't care much for human company. I would rather be out in the woods, if you want to call it the spirits, the feel, the energy of the woods. And that was my comfort zone. Mm. And that's why when I I think if I were out there now and I were to encounter something, I would be very comfortable with it. With who who I am now and with growing up that way, it's treated respectfully. Um but I wouldn't necessarily run away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, the same way that the sun gives us vitamin D, you know, I think that walking within the woods, there's something about walking within the woods with all that nature around you. that's good for you as well. You know? Yeah. This goes back to a time when, um, yeah, if I was thirsty, I'd, there were several of them around. I mean, besides the river that's out back, but there were some smaller streams and everything. You got thirsty, you drank out of the stream. There are plenty of wild blueberries in the right season at this time. You pick some blueberries and eat them and then keep going. Um, one thing very few people know, which is kind of interesting, if you, if you are out and you, let's say, it's getting late in the day and there's a lot of mosquitoes around, wash yourself down with that stream water. Mm. They'll bother you less. Hmm. Never knew that. It so. takes some of you, some of your scent off, and it has the 
scent of uh, or the energy of the rocks and the trees and the dirt and everything in it. And it'll bother you a lot less. Good to know. I support that. Because Paris don't like it when you come home all wet. But hey, (laughs) you're you're a little kid having fun out there. You jumped in the stream to get rid of the bugs. It's true. It's true. I want to throw one one little fun fact out there for everybody, since it's a creepy deal. Uh, on our banshee, you know, I'll, I'll often found with the Dullahan. Um, you know, the banshee was sometimes seen as a young, fair woman, especially in Irish texts, while other sources from Scottish tradition described her as an old hag. Her description varied. Uh, what is common in both traditions was that the banshee had long, unbound hair and dressed in white though sometimes she was seen dressed in gray cloak uh, over a green dress. Another common tradition is that she can be heard weeping or wailing. Uh, that sounds like uh, neening, the, key, the keening of mourners. And because of continuous weeping, her eyes were red in color. Woo! So that's always good. I like that the red eyes intensifies the creep factor for sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So every, I think... That, that was quite a, we were quite a journey on here. So, you know, Audra, we thank you again for being on the show. Oh, it was my pleasure. I thoroughly enjoy it and uh, hope to come back again sometime soon and visit. We hope to have you back on there again soon. We'll think thank of a nice theme so we can make sure you're the, you're the reigning champion of, of guest <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So we hope everybody out there enjoyed this episode. Uh, if it piqued your interest, do your own research for sure. There's a lot more stuff out there on this. Uh, like we said, we were kind of blown away a little bit with, with when we started doing some research on it, uh, on how wide and vast this fairy thing goes. Um, but, you know, if you like, also if you like this episode, check out other episodes wherever you're listening to this. And uh, we got a boombastic streaming patreon for anybody that's looking to support you can get some stuff early uh and all different types of cool stuff and uh yeah so everybody out there be good you know be careful these fairies come in all different shapes and sizes names they, they want the men gotta be careful there's a lot of men that they were going after the men today you know what i mean <laughs> They're so, easy prey. Look what, they're easy prey. Yeah, look what they were offering. They're easy prey. That's the thing, yeah. The great willpower to say no. You know, stand up. Stand up individuals, they say. And uh, they got nothing but it. They got cursed. Oh, he got cursed three days in death for being a good guy. What a world. That makes the women out to be horrible, though. My gosh. <laughs> We're just evil little things, aren't we? <laughs> and then, yeah, they did. <laughs> and then the, they didn't want to tell the wife about him dying in three days because she would have got mad at him. She, she says, got, you got chores you got to do in four days, but We're talking about dying in three days. <laughs> get out of here with that. So we'll get out of here with that. We'll close on that. And we hope everybody has a great day. And we'll catch y'all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly.